understanding my identity as a Caribbean woman in America was really, really hard. Uh, and I think emotionally, I just went through those ups and downs of like, I went from trying to be super American to and like completely shedding almost most of my culture. You're listening to Disrupting Balance, the podcast, where we are busting myths and breaking balance. Here's stories from women who are pushing boundaries to navigate the decisions and changes that come with work, womanhood, and winning. I'm your host, Hanifa Barnes, speaker, decision strategist, and master imbalancepreneur. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Hope you enjoy. Today's guest is Tamara Sykes, also known as Babian Girl. You want to know how to find freedom when the constraints are beyond your control? You should definitely listen to Tamara's thoughts on how she carved her own path in spite of the constraints. She also shares her journey through immigration, launching her business, and building a family. As a Caribbean native, Tamara struggled for years to find her place and where she fit, but now she is winning with a successful digital brand and clarity on her identity as a mother a wife, and so much more, Tamara is definitely embracing her imbalance. Hello and welcome everybody to Disrupting Balance, the podcast. Today in the chair, we have none other than Tamara Sykes, better known as Badian Girl. How are you, Tamara? I'm doing well. I'm up and ready to go. (laughs) Yes, that's good. That's great. And so as you know from our previous conversation, Disrupting Balance is all about embracing the imbalance to navigate the changes in work, womanhood, and winning by telling women's stories. So tell us all, what is your story? In a nutshell, my story is basically, you know, I'm a Caribbean-born woman. I was born in Barbados, raised there till I was 16 years old, and then immigrated here to the USA and uh, went to college here. Actually, I should backtrack. I went to high school here for my last two years, then went to college here, joined the workforce here, um, been through a lot of immigration ups and downs. And now I am married and also just became a mom two years ago now, actually this month. So in a nutshell, that's my personal story. But I've also started my own business at one point. I was a fashion business owner, showed in a local fashion week. And now I'm solely doing content creation and teaching other people how to do that. So that's my story in a nutshell. (laughs) Great. So why business for yourself? What was that about and what was the driving factor in you making the decision to go into business for yourself? Great question. Um, I would honestly say immigration and wanting to be in control of my narrative, like my story was actually the catalyst for that. Um, One thing about immigration is that you do have a lot of hard start and stops and it's really based on the government's timeline. Um, Nothing against them. It's just that, you know, they tend to be a little bit slower about things. Mm -hmm. And so throughout my story, I've really experienced, especially after college, I really experienced a lot of like, okay, now you cannot do this and you have to do a job that matches your degree. And like, you have to do all these things, things that I think most U.S. citizens don't 
necessarily have to do. Mm -hmm. And so I just went into, you know, my, I've started my own business because I was just like, I just want to be able to do something that I want to do and I want to have full control of that. And I, I love fashion and that's where that went. And it actually started out of um, an art project that I used to do when I went to school in Barbados, which was painting scarves. Hmm. And yeah, I just took it and people were like interested. So I was like, cool, let's just see how this goes. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's just one of those, like, I wanted a more sense of control. I wanted to make more decisions and business was just the most logical fit for me. Yeah. So you talk about being from Barbados. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about culture and adaptation to different cultures and assimilation and that whole theory um, in adjusting to a new place, life, way of life? I mean, moving from Barbados to the U.S. is definitely still a culture shock. We're still Western, but like our life is just so much slower, I'm going to say mm. it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I think what everyone's experiencing in quarantine right now is usually how my life is when I'm back home, like very slow, very laid back, very much wow. like not necessarily running out to consume all the time. Yeah. So this norm without the crazy side stuff, (laughs) but Uh this like pace of things is very much more like my element. And coming to the US, the first thing that I had to adapt to was how fast everything was. It wasn't difficult, like on a scale, it wasn't like, oh my gosh, like I don't know how to move faster. It definitely felt like people were more about getting things done versus like getting to know me and then getting things done, which is a huge part of Caribbean culture. So like one of the best examples I use is like, if you go to a meeting, normally they're like, okay, our agenda is da 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 and let's get started. Yeah. And uh, Caribbean-wise, it's like, hey, how's your kids doing? Um, so even though I was 16, that was a huge change. Other things, you know, again, in Barbados, we speak English, so not much different on a language barrier, but we do use like British English or like what they call the Queen's English and here Uh it's just very different Um, you know so having to learn to like not put OU in words and um, not calling the cart at the grocery store a trolley and like just different things yeah I feel like my husband still hears it from me every once in a while like I'll say do the turn signal and he's like what and I'm like you know what I mean or (laughs) also the indicator or something and he's like what do you mean I'm just like the thing the light (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so like, I mean I definitely went through a lot of that um yeah. education wise also had a lot of barriers I mean I felt like it's just different it's just completely different <laughs> where yeah. I grew up so it's one of those like I'm still learning I feel like I'm still learning new stuff but yeah that's the pace was the biggest challenge I would say that yeah And that's interesting because you would think that, okay, you came here as a teenager and now you're grown up with your own family and you would assume that you've totally adapted and you shed a lot of what you used to know and used to be. But that is not always the case because it's still your identity, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me about the emotional component of the adaptation because- you talk a lot about these transitions and these adjustments mm-hmm. and still even going through that now. What is the emotional component in that process for you look like? Emotionally, it's changed over time. I think in the beginning, emotionally, I felt like I needed to become what everyone else was was around me. So 
that could include things like trying to dress more like a you like what I would see around me in school. Um, mm-hmm. It's just, I mean, for most teenagers, I mean, people in general, we kind of go through phases of identity crises. And so like, or I don't know if that's the right term, but crises, maybe that's what it mm-hmm. is. Um, I definitely felt that on a fashion level, that's where it first showed up for me. The other mm. type of, I guess, emotional change I went through was trying to speak more clearly so that people could understand me. Again, I come from a country that definitely speaks English. So it's not that they couldn't understand what I was saying. It was just more like every Caribbean island, every international country has their own accent. And so yes. I definitely went through a challenge there on having to enunciate here how people would understand what I'm saying. And so during that transition, I did lose a little bit of my connection to home because my Mm. accent basically disappeared. Mm -hmm. Um, So emotionally that was hard because I'm now, I'm, I mean, I'm literally like I'm 29 now. So I've literally lived my life (laughs) half and half. I don't know. I felt like I went from trying to be super American to and like completely shedding almost most of my culture to, okay, now I'm faced with immigration. So like that was like a jolt back to like, hey, like you are not American. (laughs) Come back, come back to life. Yeah. Emotionally, that was super traumatizing because I mean, immigration gives you those jolts like every once in a while. You don't like get them every day. I remember feeling like man, like I, you know, any, at any second, if like, you know, my, my application isn't processed on time or approved, you know, like I could be going back to going back home. And like, I still love Barbados, but it was like, I'd kind of grown up. I've been more aware while I was in the U S of like my identity changing. So it's a little different. So emotionally, that was really hard. I mean, I had times where I hated being an immigrant. I had times when I loved being an immigrant you know, being honest, it was just really hard because it was like, I couldn't go do what other people were doing. Like, you know, so I was really frustrated with that. And then another thing too, is I really felt like I was behind everybody just because I grew up differently. Like I didn't grow up watching MTV and I didn't grow up knowing some of the bands that people know about. Like I know people talk about NSYNC, but like they were not really a part of my life at all. I just sat there and listened like I hadn't I couldn't contribute to conversations and that again felt really it was tough I mean that 16 Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know young 20 young adult age is like you're trying to really find your spot and like Mm -hmm. it's it's a little bit challenging so I I really went through that the second part that I mentioned like trying to understand where I can contribute understanding my identity as a Caribbean woman in America Mm -hmm. was really, really hard. Uh, Mm. And I think emotionally, I just went through those ups and downs of like, oh, I hate this. Oh, I love this. That psychology of fitting in is very, it's it's deep because you you are uniquely you (laughs) and made, you know, in a unique image. Yet in your experience and wanting to be like everyone else around you, it's like you feel like who you are is not enough, right? Yep. Yeah, for sure. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And it's a challenge I definitely identify with. I am West African and I grew up in here in the States, but in my Mm -hmm. house, my father's East African, my mother's West African. So in my home, everything is different from the homes of all the friends that I go to school with. So even in that experience for me, I felt like, okay, 
I need to fit in more. Maybe my parents can make me hamburgers and French fries on a Friday as opposed to some <laughs> African like soup dish. There's this whole psychology until you kind of go through a process where you're learning to embrace who you are, which is where I think you're getting to at this point, being 29 and all. So yep. tell me about the emotional supports, because going through that, like you said, is not easy. Your emotions ebb and flow. I would definitely say I have multiple people who provided me mm-hmm. emotional support. Um, mm-hmm. One of the ways I try to think of it is I have a core and then I have people that come in and out based on seasons of my life. When I was actually in high school, the people who were my core, I actually had a, um, a teacher who I'm still in contact with now. He actually like made fun of how I was talking, but he wasn't trying to do it in a way that was harmful. And he said, I, he said, I'm going to call you um, peanut butter mouth. That actually became a really good starting point for our relationship because we were able to have a conversation and he actually then went from there. Like, I mean, pretty much within like a week and said he was going to call me and one um, for a nickname. And it was just like uh, a reference from basketball, which I really completely didn't understand at the time. <laughs> but it's just like, you know, and one second chances you can get it, you can do it again. And he has been someone who's popped up in my life a lot. Yeah. I've also had, um, my mentors, uh, they do not like to be called my mentors. I think, I, I don't know why, it's just their personal <laughs> preference. <laughs> uh-huh. I call them my mentors. Um, and it's not as crazy as people think this whole mentor relationship. They're just like two women that I can rely on no matter what. Um, yeah. One, I, sh- I call her, she's been a family friend for a, lo- I mean, a long time, probably since I moved here, since I was 16. She's yeah. seen me go through ups and, like, I'm going to say ups and downs. I mean, ups and downs. Um, she's always been a sounding board for me, especially if I feel like, you know, we all have those moments where we feel like, oh my gosh, I'm going crazy. She's just so practical and just so down to earth. Yeah. Like she, she's amazing. And then I have another, uh, lady who is actually, it's weird. Like, it's funny how these people all connect. <laughs> like, uh-huh. She's actually my photographer's mother-in-law also used to be my pastor. So like, she's just one of those, like, I'm not going to take any nonsense type of women. And she really helped me navigate friendships, especially in college, transitioning to young adult. Um, She helped me navigate my relationship with my husband, like when we were dating. Um, Also did our premarital counseling. I would say those are the people who I really depend on. And then my little brother, who is completely against social media, um, is another person. He's like my best friend. My husband's my best friend, but my my brother is like, you know, we got a sibling thing going on. Uh, He grounds me pretty quick. I think people have seen me rise in this like content creation space and not realizing that like when I'm having those moments where I'm like down or feel like I just don't know what direction to go in. Like my brother is like very, so logical. It's amazing. <laughs> He's just is like, yeah. yeah, let's cut through this BS. Um, my husband, of course, like I, like I said, I have a lot of people. My husband is always, always there, especially during quarantine. Like right now when I need to do like stuff like this podcast or mm-hmm do blogging posts like he actually takes my daughter and like goes on walks with her and has daddy daughter dates in some form or fashion that's again safe but so that I can do these things because my daughter is going through like this mommy phase right now (laughs) yeah yeah so you know like him having that patience him being there when I've cried about posts that I've written and like people didn't receive it well like my husband's not into always being on social media being flashy but he definitely makes sure that I'm following what he what we would interpret as my calling and my purpose 
all those people in some way in each part of my life really helped me be more confident in myself, trust myself, Mm -hmm. be proud of who I am because I'm not just Caribbean. I'm now, you know, I'm a permanent resident in the U.S. So pretty much I'm almost as close to a Caribbean American as you can get. And they really have been like so crucial to me loving myself. It's always still a journey. I mean, like I said, I still go to therapy and like all these things to like talk through things that happen on a day-to-day basis. When we spoke earlier, you also mentioned this relationship with the church at an early age. Tell me about that journey and how it has unfolded for you. As a woman of color, as a Black woman, we have a very different relationship when it comes to faith. Like it's just Mm. not the same as people. It's not as clear cut as people think. Um. We're usually combining both culture and faith in how we live. So Mm -hmm. my family used to visit Columbus, Ohio every single year since 1999, every summer for a um, like a church conference, basically at a mega church in Ohio. And so for me, moving to Ohio was very much directly related to the church. It really affected my belief of like who I should be as a person. And it definitely was more of, I became this like nice girl all the time. So my idea of being this Christian girl and like what God wanted me to be was to be always nice. You know, that comes along with what do I wear? How do I dress? Do I change my hair? I mean, I feel like people understand like how deep theology of like, Christianity and like day-to-day life can conflict and like yeah. cause so much confusion. Yeah. Um, then, you know, coming from like my Caribbean background, like, yeah, you go to church every Sunday, but you still listen to soca music. Yeah, that, that, ooh, that was hard. And that's actually where my uh, teacher that I mentioned at my high school, um, mm-hmm. he actually was my Bible teacher. And then also my, the two ladies that I mentioned, one, my pastor's wife, and then my mentor, that's where all three of them come in the most is that they really mm-hmm. helped me sift through that. It took yeah. years. Let's not, it didn't happen a day, a week, a month. It has taken years to put it bluntly. There was one time they were just like sitting there telling me like, you're okay. Like we love you. God loves you. And I just started crying because I couldn't Mm. get it past my head. Like I had to be the specific person for that to really match. Mm. Yeah. That was so hard. (laughs) That was so hard. Um, I think around the time that I actually healed from all that is when I actually met my husband. This is not like some relationship stories I'm saying yeah. but like that's just what my timeline was personally over time I've just unfolded little by little and for me my stance is I definitely go to church but I also feel like I should speak up when injustices are happening and I do I mean anyone that follows me know that I do like I speak up very frequently about immigration stuff definitely speak about women of color I mean I'm in an interracial marriage so I definitely speak about that a lot I don't think that I have to be this nice girl to prove that I'm Christian. I just believe that I need to speak up for what's right and also take a stance where I know that I can. And if I don't know about something, I just don't talk about it. Yeah, I do find that we tend to find our passions or or funnel our energies into those things that we connect to or that are part of our experience. Like you taking a stance on immigration and speaking up on that and speaking up on other issues that relate to you makes sense because that is your truth. And do you think in becoming a content creator and becoming a successful content creator, do you think that helped you at all in this, what I'm calling your reinvention process? It definitely did. It may not be, I know like I mentioned this before, like I think of my life as having catalysts propelling me through this. 
I yeah. do think content creation and even owning my own business before I fully went into content creation has really helped me heal through that. Because with content creation, I had to start making sure that I was solid on what I believed before I put it out there. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. when you're content creating, people come for you. It's part of this game. Yes, when you're smaller, and I say smaller, like you feel like you have a very small audience. You yeah. think, oh, no one's going to come for you. Absolutely not. Yeah. They will. Yeah. It challenges you on a personal level because you need to not just know your stuff, but you got to know within yourself that that's what you want to put out there. So there are things that like I was going through that I did not put out there or I did not even talk about because I was still healing from it. So yeah. if someone came and attacked me at that moment about it, I probably would have crumbled because I've cried about stuff that I've written and like gotten feedback on and I was solid on it so like <laughs> imagine doing yeah. it when I'm still healing content creation really has helped me be more confident in what I have to say and confidence from I'm solid on what I'm saying like I don't have a doubt when I'm saying it as well as knowing that there are people out there who need to hear this and that has really helped me convert from that, like, oh, I'm going to be nice and like not ruffle anybody's feathers to I'm going to speak up. I'm going to share my truth. I'm going to speak my truth as like my dad likes to say, like, just show up. And I've, I feel like content creation has had me. I mean, especially this year, like I am showing up. I am showing up in ways. And all of a sudden it's like I'm hearing more and more like, hey, you're so inspiring. And I, I just I didn't mm. think of that of myself. You know, I've been what, blogging for six years. I didn't think about that when I was blogging in year one or year yeah. two or even year yeah. three, like I didn't think, Oh, my story is going to be inspiring because you know, you're, you're dealing with these things personally. And then you're also seeing all these like perfect images on social media. And so like, yes. that's a conflict within itself, but content creation really helped me be like, this is the woman mm. I want to be. I want to empower other women to love their lives. And I want them to know that like, we're all not going through this like perfect depicted life. Like there are ups and downs, like you said, there's, there's reinventions, there's yeah. evolutions, there's pivots, yep. there's there's enhancements, like there's just so much going on. Well, speaking of that, yeah. one of your posts <laughs> I could tell was, you know, you wrote it from really an, a, a very uh, extremely authentic place. Cause when I read it, I could feel something in it. And it was the post about the invisibility of motherhood. Yeah. <laughs> and that, when I tell you, I read that and there were lines I was rereading again. I'm in my 40s, four kids, the youngest is 13. So I've had life experiences, but still yeah. things speak to you. And that article spoke to me. So for, for the audience, tell them a little bit about that post and talk about where you were in deciding to write that in your own personal life. I'm going to start from jump. Like we talked in the beginning about, you know, like what my story is. And like I always say, immigration is a huge part. Part of immigration is something that even during our premarital counseling, our, like my mentor and her husband, our pastors basically were just like, they told my husband, like, you're going to have to understand that Tamara has been surviving for a lot of her life. Mm. So hmm. throwing stuff, th throwing things at her really quickly may make her feel like she's back to surviving. Like I said, I went into business and a lot of things to get some sort of control in this, you know, new country that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And becoming a mom used to be, it's not anymore, but one of my greatest fears because I understood that if I didn't heal myself, mm -hmm. I'm bringing another human being into this world 
and I am potentially everything about them, <laughs> just everything. Mm-hmm. But what I didn't really grasp yet was the fact that when you become a mom, mm-hmm. there's still a process to becoming that mom, like becoming a mom in the sense that everyone realizes literally when you're pregnant, you become the center of attention for everybody. Everybody is like, can I open a door for you? You can jump the line ahead of you in the grocery store. Like it's just all the stuff. Then you go from that straight into I'm delivering this baby and now everyone is like every question from there on out is how do I take care of my child there's not really a transition from like Mm -hmm. how do I take care of me yeah me and my child you just get cut out the equation and so it's hard like I people have sometimes said like oh like that's you whining it's not whining it's literally reality from the minute you give birth to your kid no matter how many you have it is not about you anymore it's a flat out understood fact but the gravity of that statement yeah it is really hard to process I just felt invisible and Mm. I was content creating and everything you know I was still putting photos out there and all that but like I even saw you know on my feed like if I posted something with my daughter it would get all these likes and I know we're not supposed to look at likes and I tell people not to look at them but I'm not also going to dismiss that they have an impact on your personal like mental health and I was just like, man, like everyone loves seeing my daughter. Everyone loves seeing my daughter and me, but like put me up there. It's not getting yeah. that much traction, man. And like yeah, that yeah. just hit, that was just the, the feather on top of everything else. Okay. Like yeah. it wasn't like social yeah. media was just like, ah, it was just a feather on top of everything else. And I, again, my blogging up to that point had been purely style and purely just me. So that was definitely a huge blow um, to mm-hmm. my pers- to my ego and on top of going through this process. And so I just had these moments where I was just like, do I want to blog anymore? Like, do I have to become a mom blogger all of a sudden? Like, because now I'm a mom. Like, it's not people come and they talk to me and they're like, oh, you're a wife and a mom and you're Tamara. They just say, no, you're mom. You're Tamara, yeah. the mom. Like, your roles get all summed into one. Mm-hmm. And I had to just really go through that. And so... When I wrote that post, it actually was, um, I had like some small things happening in my life where I was hearing it from different moms in my Mm -hmm. life. And Mm -hmm. I was like, you know what, if I'm hearing it from like one or two, three people around me, this cannot be just us. That post is one that I didn't write on this like time schedule. I wrote it at like probably 3 a.m. in the morning. Cause I was just, I was in my feelings. Yes. (laughs) But I mean, I just had to be because I was going to write it. I needed to be authentic. I didn't, I needed it to be raw. Mm. And like, do we talk to people about, Mm. do we talk to women? I mean, my husband's gone through it too, but like, do we talk to people about that transition from being just an individual to being an individual plus one? Yeah. I mean, we go through premarital counseling for individual plus one in a marriage sense, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Do we do it for parenting? Absolutely not. (laughs) I know I didn't have it. Yeah, you know what I mean? I couldn't continue creating like I was creating prior to being a mom because Mm -hmm. I have a child who's a part of my life. Like that changes everything. I I I had to recalibrate. That was was a moment where I was like, oh my gosh, like I'm a mom and people may not want to know about me anymore. They may want to be more interested in my daughter. And like, I got to process that. That's a lot. And and that's kind of you know why I harp on this idea of embracing imbalance. When you say recalibrate, it's essentially taking these things that have either created 
some type of distortion, disruption, or trauma in your life and figuring out how to make it work in the best way possible for you, you know? And so with that in mind, what type of content are you creating now? Tell us about your platform and all, you know, all of that good stuff. With that transition, I would say that now I create lifestyle content. So a lot of people have known me from just being style and having a very eclectic style before. I still have that style, but now it's definitely transitioned to lifestyle. So I hit on life stuff like that motherhood post. Mm-hmm. Um, I have also opened up a little bit more and shared about my first year of marriage and like what my husband and I thought it was going to be <laughs> like mm-hmm. what it actually was. Um, I've also opened up, I actually opened up the day that I got my green card in the mail, ironically, about my 10-year process. And then what my husband and I went through as a couple going through immigration. Um, but so I really get personal on some things. And then sometimes I'm in a more advice mode, like with motherhood. But I've also done a lot of like self-love. At the end of the day, like you have to be kind to yourself. Yeah. Because um, that's been the running theme in my life. Yeah. And then I also do style stuff still. I do have days when I'm Rihanna. And then I have days, <laughs> like I'm telling you, I do have those days. Okay, I do. Uh-huh. And, and then I have days when I'm just like, yeah, I'm just putting on a romper today. because <laughs> I, I love it. You know what I mean? I got to run after a child. Like, it, yeah. I'm not putting on heels. I'm not. Nope, nope. Not doing it. So that's for how my style ranges. And then um, I I definitely have gone a deep dive in my business stuff and content creation stuff because my like goal, like what makes me happy in life is when I can help someone else grow. And I did see a need, even as a mom and a person who wears like many hats. I mean, it's pretty much summarizes wife, mom, boss anyway, mm-hmm. is People think it's just like one day you get to do all three things all day and like your list is done. And like, that's not, that is not reality. Some days I get to do a bunch of blogging stuff and then I don't get to touch it again for like four or five days later Yeah, because I'm spending time with family and being a wife and being, and just self-care for myself. I mean, it's like, I get it. You know what I mean? Like, it's not like all like you, you mentioned like disrupting balance and like embracing that imbalance, which is Mm -hmm so true like it's not just like oh I can spend three hours batching all my content today like you know it doesn't work for me um so those three things are just so so important to me because that's how my life is I that's why my whole tagline is empowering women to create a life and business they want and I always tell anyone who buys a book from me or has a call with me you got this because I don't want the next upcoming like the upcoming creators of our time and to feel like they have to fit into this mold to make it discipline work ethic are things that will always exist but like even as we've seen in the transition of you know content creators being more authentic talking about their mental health it is not worth you feeling like you hate it so much yeah because you try to be somebody else you you know what I mean so like that's where my tagline comes in and empowering women to be that way. So I talk about that a lot on my blog, badiangirl.com. I talk about it on Instagram, which is the Badian Girl. I talk about it on Twitter, which is just Badian Girl. That is the vibe. That's the energy. That's where I'm coming from. I'll put all of your social media links in the show notes. So for folks listening who want to make sure they can follow um, Badian Girl and also read those great posts. 
What are you believing now for yourself? The consistent mindset that I'm a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. That is currently my mantra. I have, I feel like I have to do that because I know the titles wife, mom, boss sounds so great. And I think I'm actually looking at a t-shirt to buy with that statement. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's my reality. Yeah. The thing is, is that those three things come with so much. They're small moments where you're just like, you struggle with being perfect in those roles. You start second guessing like everything you're doing. (laughs) I, right now, my belief that I constantly am like, it's in front of my face all the time that I think about, that I write down several times a day. It's like, I'm a masterpiece and a work in progress at the same time. Because sometimes we feel like because we're a work in progress, we're not good enough. And like, I have to eliminate that, that perfectionist idea that I tend to like fall back on as a crutch. As a woman, Tamara right now, that's, that's where I'm at. I am Tamara Sykes and I am disrupting balance by embracing the beauty of everyday life. Thank you for listening to Disrupting Balance. To learn more about how I'm disrupting balance, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Pinterest at Disrupting Balance. You can also check out my website at www.disruptingbalance.com to get podcast updates and news from the Balance Disruptor community about how you can become your very own master in balancepreneur. Talk soon.